All right, so we're good. We're uh, welcome back to the show, and uh, people already know who I am. I'm Bob Odenkirk, and yeah. <laughs> I've also I hope Bob's good. I've, you know, I've always wanted to work with you. You know, yeah. I, you know, I've, so uh, yeah, and and I'm Ken Eston, and I was Ken Eston last week too, and I'll probably be Ken Eston in the next show. Smart, keep it consistent. That way, people I think can rely I on think it. that people remember me that way. It's a good yeah, angle. I, so uh, I actually have a cousin who just recently changed his name. I don't know why he changed his name. He he doesn't really like family much, but even so, it's so weird that some he changed his first name to just very common first name, different than his own. Uh, you know, anyhow, I did I, get into that. I did do I um you know when I was doing a, a telemarketing job, I I would not say my name. You know, I'd say a Joe. Which is like when oh, I was really? a kid, I wanted to go by Joe. You know, I didn't want yeah. to have an unusual name. But, um, you know, as I've gotten older, I've gotten used to it or whatever. But, yeah, because on the phones, one time I was talking to this lady and I was like, oh, you, you have the same last name, Jackson. You know, it's cool. And then, like, during the conversation, I told her my first name, you know. So now she knows who I am. And I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck, yeah. I hope this phone call goes well. <laughs> you know, because she's like, how do you spell it? And I'm like, damn, now she knows too Is much she about really? me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, well, you have a very unusual name, uh, Erto. I, 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 when I first met you, I couldn't. I was trying to place it, trying to think. Well, where does Erto come from? And I had no idea. It's Portuguese. And, you know, it's Portuguese based on a famous artist, right? Famous drummer, or he's actually a Brazilian drummer, but the name is Portuguese, as far as I understand. And there's actually another. Well, you know, in Erto Brazil, that's you know what's surprising in brazil that's where they speak is portuguese i didn't yeah. know that i thought in brazil they spoke spanish but right. they don't yeah so yeah Erto there's Moriari. another, there's another Air, Air, you know another erito out there who's i actually met um super randomly i one of my friends she um I was at a party and I was talking to some girl who was at this party and I said my name and she's like, Oh, my cousin's name is Erto. And I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know anybody named Erto. And she's like, no, his name's Erto and he's actually going to be here in a little bit. And um, so he showed up, but he goes by Elliot. And I think the funny thing about it is because like he, you know, it's that thing of having a weird name. You just grow up and it's like, and I was telling him how like I used to want to, be named joe or whatever because yeah, it's easier because yeah. my last name is so basic you know and it's like to have yeah. a weird first name is kind of throws people off and uh, i don't want to say his full name or whatever but his last name is smith you know so <laughs> i guess oh. i said his full name yeah. or whatever we so, got it yeah we'll edit that out or i'll bleep it or something and uh, so he was like i have a totally basic name you know but my, my real name is erto and we actually took pictures together with our licenses wow. and stuff and he got well, my friend pregnant you know so oh no no, it was great. Yeah. I mean, I have a cute oh, they little want kid. It. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they wanted it. Oh, yeah, but. but it was so weird because people would be like, uh, you know, Erto got Aria pregnant. You know what I mean? Like Erto and Aria? Aria. Her name's Aria. She's oh. a fantastic photographer. Really, really good photographer, portrait photographer. And she's really, yeah. really cool. And um, she, um, yeah, so anyway, they end up having a kid together, you know, and, you know, so. Are they going to give the kid a name like Joe? um i for, you know it's terrible i forget what his name is but not to look yeah. i'm horrible with names anyway so it's nothing the new trend i guess it's not that new but but people come up with names now that it used to be so easy because especially for me when I was a teacher to know people's names because mm -hmm. uh most people just have variations of the same 
Anglo-Saxon names or, right. or, or, or if they're Latin, that they're usually still fairly consistent, right. you know, or, but uh, I just found that more and more were kind of with names I couldn't pronounce. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how to pronounce them. And they're not, they're not always pronounced the way you would uh, sound them out phonetically. Yeah. And so it's getting harder and harder and people are making up names. And I know somebody who was just named um, Atlas. They named mm. their kid Atlas. And Big Ayn Rand fan. Yeah. Must be an Ayn Rand fan. You know, not, you know, because like AAU or whatever, uh, they have a lot of Asian students. So they yeah. take on American names. But they often, I notice they take on these like really old names, you know, like yeah, Ruby or like Florence or, you know. Yeah, like, I don't know why they do that. Yeah. I guess because they have trouble, people have trouble pronouncing their names. So they, they were almost every Asian student I had had taken on a very Anglo sounding name. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why they, Exactly. I guess they do that to to be polite, to make it easier for you to 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 be able to pronounce their name and know their name. So I guess that it's done out of politeness, I guess. But yeah, I mean, because you know, we have to like adapt to you know. We also can't, you know, a lot of those names are difficult to pronounce. Like I think if you're like, what is it, Cantonese is the more difficult of the Chinese languages. And I know they're not all Chinese, but in this particular, in my particular scenario right now, they are Chinese. So yeah, um, I think Cantonese is more difficult than Mandarin or something like that. But, oh, you, know, I don't know. you know, we talked about this before because I know you did the pilot in uh, China and everything. And we were talking about um, Chinese comedy, but there's, have you ever seen the movie called Afterlife? I don't know. I think it's maybe a Japanese director or maybe Chinese director. I don't know. I, I think I've heard of it, but I, I haven't seen it. No. So good. Such a good movie. And I only know yeah. of one other person one time that was talking about the film. And I was like, oh, I know that film. Like, I watched that. And that was really uh-huh. – their storytelling is so fascinating. They have such a yeah. different way of telling stories out there. So, so good. Yeah, I, I found it very interesting that when I would teach uh, the Asian students, most of them were from China at, at, at the school. Yeah. We can say this whole AAU, it doesn't matter, but yeah. Uh a lot of Chinese students, I think they 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 actually went out of their way to to uh, solicit uh students from China to come because we had so many Chinese students. I wonder but, if it's because it's a high population of Chinese people in San Francisco too. So it's like an easy connection. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But the they all the one thing they all seem to have in common is that none of them wanted to go back to China. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of interesting. They were all very different people. And, uh, and you know, even I found it so fascinating. They, the English was their second language and they weren't completely at ease with English. Mm-hmm. They didn't have it mastered yet. And yet they're writing all these screenplays and, in English and and learning, and I'm speaking to them in English. I wonder, gosh, that's got to be hard. It's hard enough to learn it when you know mm-hmm. the language really well. And I wondered why why would you go to learn? Why would you go to write in a language other than your own in that country? It just seems like it's so would be so hard. Very difficult. It's hard I, to do it. And I'm a native English speaker. You're a native English speaker. It's difficult to do anyway. You know, it's yeah, it's thing. very it's difficult. One of the most but, difficult ways to write. But I found, you know, I the biggest problem with most of the students were, would be idioms. They don't mm-hmm. get all the idioms because mm-hmm. they don't make any sense at all. They're just kind of random mm-hmm. words put together that we accept some other meaning. Uh, and some sometimes they have trouble with with um, 
whether something was plural or, or whether it had an article, because I don't think they had articles mm-hmm. all the time for, but it's just the content of their work was as good as anybody else, even mm-hmm. though they didn't know the language well, they were, they were good students. They were, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they knew what they were doing, but uh, I talked to them sometimes about, about China, because I was kind of interested in, in their history. And, and, uh, None of them wanted to go back. They all were desperate to find work in America so they could stay here. And almost none of them could because they all wanted to be writers or directors mm-hmm. or something. Good luck with that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's so hard. You know, if they wanted to be uh, in the biological sciences, yes, they'd be able to find work easily here. Totally. Yeah. But, Tech but or they, something, coding yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they, they want to write half-hour comedies. Good luck. You're going back to China. Yeah, no, you're, you're, that's a, that's a, you're on the slow boat to China with that one for sure, yeah. But uh, but maybe the, ch- the change to Chinese um, perception of half-hour comedy. When I was there, I think I told you, they didn't like American half-hour comedies because we were very disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And what they kept wanting... Which is fucking from, bullshit, man. No, yeah, yeah. But um, the... The show we did, we tried to make it polite and correct, but you know we all know all everybody everybody watching or listening to this podcast since you're interested in writing, you know it's all about conflict, mm-hmm. conflict whether it's drama or comedy. Conflict is what makes us watch and and get interested. There's no conflict. Somebody comes in, pours a cup of coffee and and puts sugar in it and asks you if you like cream in yours and all. I mean that just bores the shit out of somebody put some cream in your coffee and said, I don't like fucking cream. I don't like sugar. Suddenly you got a story going. So conflict, conflict. But when I was in China, yeah. When I was in the show in China, um, gosh, I didn't want conflict even. And I was going, well, you guys have lots of conflicts in, in the movies you do all the time, but, but somehow they wanted to do a sitcom they thought somehow because it was a sitcom, it didn't have to have the same kind of conflict they had in their dramas. They have plenty of conflict in their dramas, and their comedies tended to be more slapstick kind of the physical mm-hmm. stick. So they didn't really get, at least when I was in China, the people I was working with didn't really get American half-hour comedy, but that's what they wanted to make. I don't know why. I don't know why they want to make a half hour. But that's American what everybody knows. Album. I mean, it's so universal. Our stuff, you know, we're we're universal. Being an American is universal for everyone. But you know, people yeah. love us. You know what I mean? They, you know, there's a there's a reason why we're so great. You know, I don't want to brag about yeah. this too much. Yeah, they seem to, but but then they didn't want. When it's one thing to write something or to pr- watch it and enjoy it, but when you have to make the decisions. They were making decisions based on what would project the best image of the Chinese people. And so they didn't want people to be insulting or or be uh, combative or confrontational. So they just took they took all the energy out of everything we try. Every time we'd write a scene and say, well, no, those people are too mean or too and because they were all Chinese playing the parts. So they didn't want the Chinese to look mean and 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 confrontational. And so Gosh, it's just got to be people pouring a cup of coffee and putting cream in it. You know, it's yeah. like, I, I didn't know what to do with it. I, I didn't know what to say. I mean, just, 
And you know, the funny thing about it is I, I, I went to China with certain prejudices. One, I didn't know many Chinese people who, except American Chinese who were just like the rest of us, American, American. Mm. But the Chinese I didn't know, I had never really met people who were still living in China who were Chinese. And I, for some reason, didn't think they had much of a sense of humor. I didn't think they laughed much because the images I had were all political images and I always saw them being very strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got there and I met these people, they were just like us. They laughed. Yeah. We would go to, you know, we'd go out and have coffee or we'd go out and get drinks or we'd eat. They were laughing and telling jokes and doing, I mean, it didn't matter. I thought that was so cool that they were, here I was in Beijing and I could have been in Chicago. I swear it was just a big city. And, and uh, except that we had language barriers and I had a translator. Uh, at one point they said, let's all just tell our favorite joke. I mean, one, one of them said that. And then they were all telling jokes and they were all funny. Yeah. But, but, um, but when we were doing the show, they'd say, you don't know, that old, that old woman is too nasty. You can't make her so nasty. Make her nicer. I mm. know uh, that guy can't talk that way to his parents because that's disrespectful. And it was that's just funny my, about it. <laughs> I know that was, was tying my hands. Out. I just yeah. couldn't find anything except cute stuff. They like, they would approve anything that was kind of cute, funny. Yeah. But I hate cute, funny. You know, it's like when a mm-hmm. kid's precocious or something, you know, precocious yeah. kids just annoy me. And, um, gosh, would do things like somebody would say, uh, Oh, you're, you're, um, this apartment's really cool. Mm-hmm. And then the, so then the woman would say, Oh, do you want me to turn on the heater? Mm-hmm. And that was the kind of joke that they'd accept, you know, because there's no conflict in that. It's just a misunderstanding. Yeah. The word cool in English means nice or interesting. Uh, it's a positive statement mm-hmm. about comment about somebody or something. And so then they misunderstood it and thought it was about the temperature. That they'd go for, but that's just cute stuff. Who, you know, I don't like that kind of cute stuff. But that's what we were doing. We're doing a whole show of people misunderstanding, you know, language choices, and and there was just no character uh, conflict. It just, so I knew it was going to be a disaster, and I, I felt bad about it. They spent a lot of money on it, and it was just a big mistake right from the get go because they didn't want the very things that made the comedy is funny but see they liked american comedies because it was americans being assholes you know mm-hmm. what they didn't want is the chinese to look like nasty mean people which it was okay if they were the americans were doing that but when it was their own they wanted to be nicer but they weren't realizing this is obviously this isn't a comment but the whole chinese culture this was just a company i was working with yeah company i was working with thought they had to portray the Chinese this way to please the, the uh, Ministry of, what do they call it? Ministry of Art? Happiness no. or something? No. Which is weird. You know, that it's actually very Whatever. weird, you know, that you say that because I grew up on a lot of martial art films, which are very Chinese-based, at least in that time, you know, a lot from yeah, Hong Kong. Kung Fu. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved all that stuff. And, um, yeah. You know, and now I guess I'm a racist because I enjoyed those things, you know, and, I, and I'm a, I appropriated those cultures because I eat with chopsticks as often as possible. And I love martial arts. But, um, you know, they have, you know, there's a lot of family conflicts. There's a lot of, um, 
you know, people making fun of people for being dumb, you know what I mean? And that's, you oh, know, when you said that, films? Say, yeah, yeah. Films? Oh, yeah, a lot of physical humor because it's martial arts and people, you know, there's a lot of joking, a lot of laughing at people's expense, you know, it was, you know, prime comedy stuff, yeah. So maybe it was just the company I was working with who, yeah. maybe if I had worked with another company in China, they would have said, go for it. But Well, it could have been that the, you know, the temperament changed, you know what I mean? Because I, I think that they don't, necessarily and i'm gonna go ahead and speak for all chinese people and in other culture because i'm Which so you can't because you're chinese yeah. i'm so tuned in yeah and um you know but i from what i'm told to think about that um they don't like martial arts representing them they don't want to which i'm thinking like fuck it man that's that's great because like then nobody wants to mess with you you know what i mean like if you walk yeah. around like you're some wuss all the time you know and you know, a lot of people, a lot of reason people like America is because we have cowboys, we're commandos, you know what I mean? We, we portray ourselves as badasses, you know, like uh, Chuck Norris and, you know, and, and when Bruce Lee came out, you know, he's Chinese and people thought it was awesome that, I mean, I, I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. I've always been a huge yeah, Bruce no, Lee he, fan. Those were good. He, he yeah. had a... He, he had, changed the concept of what Chinese people were in the American culture. Yeah. You know, because they but want him to be like. Firsthand, I can say firsthand the Chinese people are not much different than us, which is a good thing if they could just get rid of the government and mm -hmm. us too. It's yeah. our governments that that fight each other, and I just think the people could do better if there's some way you can't get rid of government. But we'll have to see like, if this part gets approved, and then if not, I'll cut this out, or we'll get yeah, yeah. We'll be disappeared yeah. or something. The the Ministry of Culture is what I was thinking. The right, Ministry okay. of Culture. They want their approval, and they were afraid they wouldn't approve it because it was the first. It, it was one of the very first ventures where it was the Chinese workmen directly with Americans. Right. I think then they were so they were more cautious than they might have been otherwise. But it, it, I, I when I saw our finished product, I went, "Oh my, ugh, I hate it. It's the worst thing I ever did," because. It's just cute. It's so cute. You 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 know your insulin level goes up. You know, <laughs> you know it's, oh, it's so it's so saccharine. It's so oh, yeah. it's so sweet. It just oh my goodness, it was just awful. Yeah, and and they they were actually angry at us too. The people, the producers, not not the not the Chinese people. The producers yeah. were saying, well, this nobody seems to want to make. Nobody seems to want to buy this, and you you were supposed to bring us something that we would buy. And I, yeah, but you didn't let us do what we wanted to do. Yeah, and, and we had a real, real bad falling out. I was afraid they weren't going to let me leave the country. Could have been, man. You know, I've heard some crazy stories. But you know, speaking of martial arts and Chinese culture and everything, there was one thing I wanted. To, we talked about this a long time ago. I wanted to ask you about this. Did you say that the RZA was said that he was a fan of your writing? Yeah. I know I bring that up because he's like a him and Tarantino like notoriously are like big martial arts, uh, yeah. You know, fan or fans of martial arts films and stuff like that. But he was a he's a fan of your writing as well. Yeah, he's a fan of uh, his one of his favorite episodes. He he loved taxi. Badass. He loved taxi, and his favorite episode of Taxi was my favorite episode of Taxi that I had and I had written it. Crazy. I actually, I actually called. I wanted to talk to him because I thought it'd be fun to talk to. Yeah people who come from different cultures than I do. You know, he's from a different w world than I am in a way, you know, in a certain way. East Coast, Staten Island, Wu-Tang Clan, for sure. So um, I just want to talk to him. That'd be cool. We have this, we have the same common interest 
but all our other interests seems would seem so different. Yeah. And uh, so I called his. I only had a number of his, of his. I could only get a number of his lawyer. I couldn't get a number of his agent or yeah. anybody. But I got a number of his lawyer. I don't remember how I got that. And they were not interested in. in <laughs> they weren't even interested in telling him I wanted to talk to him. You yeah. Know? Nothing ever came of. It. I never got a chance. Maybe he'll watch this and see this and have contact me. I yeah, maybe we'll get him on the show him. one time and talk to him about some writing. I, I think he's like really, I've heard he's really well versed in not only like martial arts films, but a directing, writing, you know, like he seems from what I've understood and actually this kind of evidenced by, you know, him saying that you're one of his favorite writers is you have to go into the weeds and like look at all the credits and like to see who yeah. are the different yeah. people who are creating these things that you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting. I just wanted to talk to him. I wasn't going to try and sell him anything, but the, right. the lawyers didn't want to be, they didn't want to be a middleman for something that looked like schmoozing, Hollywood mm -hmm. schmoozing. Yeah, you know, yeah. They do, so. <laughs> never, That's pretty never crazy. Happened. That's cool. It never happened. But if he, but if you're watching, give me a call. I, I'd love to talk to you. You can call my yeah. agent or I'd give you my phone number over the air, but I don't think I'm supposed to do that. Yeah, no, you probably don't want to do that. You know, you have yeah, to get a burner phone or something. Yeah. But yeah, that's cool, man. That's awesome. I remember we were talking about that one time, and I I didn't know too many of the details or anything. So I was like, oh, the RZA, that's crazy. Like, you know. Yeah, he was in an interview on a, on a show. I think it was a golfing show. So he actually loves golf too. Crazy. Yeah, he's versatile. Yeah, all these very versatile. Love is very very different. Yeah. That he, he Renaissance man has all these interests. Yeah. And so he was on a golf show and somehow they talked about something that led to somebody asking about, and he mentioned television and mentioned taxi in my show. Yeah. In, in this interview. So I said, wow, that's cool. I want to talk to this guy. And yeah. Yeah. Couldn't I love talking to people that are like me as well, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anybody who likes me. My favorite people are the ones who like me. Yeah. You like me? I'm yeah. We should talk. You know, I got some stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can regale you with some of my interesting, more interesting points that people don't know about. Yeah, that's actually really cool, though. Yeah, I mean, because the RZA, you know, huge in my era of skateboarding, Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, I had a roommate that was just like, it was either Wu-Tang Clan or the Fugees, Lauren Hill, just always on repeat, constantly, constantly yeah. listening to them. Yeah, it was very, very, uh, very prescient in that day yeah. you know, of my of my listening. Interest. Well, the, that's why I, I said the the people I worked with in China liked what I had done. That's why they wanted me to work with them. Yeah, but they liked it as Amer as it represented America, not as it would represent China. And I, I think that they would learn from that. And that's what what made me think about it was all these Chinese students I've had. The ones some of them are, have been very good, and I'm thinking that. Maybe when they go back to China, they'll change things a little bit. They'll mm -hmm. they'll bring more American sensibility and mix it with the Chinese sensibility and come with something that that they'll, they'll that's acceptable. Um, well, we have no respect for the elderly um, people who are. Yeah. We seem to praise the opposite of the things that they enjoy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or, and then we denigrate the things that they they hold dear. So you know, um, yeah, yeah, they I mean, didn't that, like any of the old. The old woman was very funny in the early draft. Mm -hmm. She kind of reminded me of this goes way back, but to the to um, the Golden Girls. Remember how mm -hmm. how kind of snippy they were with each sure. other? Yeah, she was like that. She was this old woman who was really sharp tongued, and I didn't think of putting anybody down really. But when I look back on, it, I think they have respect for 
age that we don't have and maybe that they, they feel that that people get that old and don't deserve to be the butt of a joke even if it's just for fun um which is weird because again going back to martial arts comedies they do make fun of like older people oh, I guess, really? maybe yeah i mean like i think like in eat man which is like a martial arts film maybe that's maybe not specifically chinese but i think it's chinese eat man um ipman it's a martial arts series really great kung fu in that um yeah, I think like they make fun of like him for being old. I've heard that many times, you know, like they kind of huh. they kind of do some digs, you know what I mean? And at people's expense or Kung Fu Hustle, which is another really really awesome. That's a that's a good comedy actually. Yeah. Kung Fu Hustle, yeah. Well, that's why I that say that, that that I was dealing with one production company in China yeah. and it could have been just just their perspective. It might yeah. have been, they they were just you know, they were just not a good comedy production company could be yeah if i'd work with somebody else it would have been fine i really enjoyed it being in china it was really interesting as i said i learned to overcome certain prejudices that i had that i thought they were so different Mm -hmm. they were too very too serious and too wanting to project strength and all these things and then i get there and they're they're just you know they're doing the same things we're doing and they're eating out and same kinds of restaurants as you know in china i'm in beijing and i i went to a texas barbecue place was it and good? i thought yeah it was good it really was good and i thought gosh i i didn't th- somehow i didn't think in china they, they were as as diverse as we are we mm-hmm. have food from all over the world of course why wouldn't they have food from all over the world of course they would yeah but i yeah. didn't think of that so we ate um we did a mexican restaurant in, mm-hmm. in beijing and it was yeah. good yeah that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely can recognize like that being a, a you know, something that kind of rings a bell because you know, if we feel like we're the melting pot of the universe, everybody comes here, and they otherwise they they wouldn't do these things, and we call it Mexican food, otherwise they just call it food. You know, like we're kind of like the ones who figure all this stuff out. You know, but yeah, uh, other cultures often, you know, because people move around the world. You know, it's not just America. oh sure, no, it's all over now, and it's, I think it's good, and I think I'm only feels who believes it that the more the more we homogenize the world the more chances of actually having peace i know some people would say no that's terrible you got to keep your own distinction everybody has their own history and the cultures you got to keep that distinct i think the more you blend i think the, the better off we are i uh, it's just my opinion I, I could be wrong about that but i think blending is a good thing not a bad thing but. i like to i like the idea of blending distinct cultures you know because it you does do it. yeah yeah because it makes it both interesting you know what i mean like i've like eritrean food or like uh, ethiopian food and you know like african food so good i love like going to those really? places yeah i uh-huh. love it i think it's so delicious yeah. and it's like they're eating like really healthy like you know like um you know collard greens i mean different like arrangements of food if you've never eaten it it's like you know like sourdough bread but it's like kind of like that stretchy pancake stuff and it's like yeah. you eat a lot of it with your fingers and it's like you got lentils and it's just yeah, yeah. soup. I'm getting hungry, actually. We're talking about Chinese actually, stuff and Mexican food and Eritrean food. I'm starting to start. But I, you know, one of the things when I was in China that I found out, first of all, that, that there are great hosts and hostesses. I guess you don't call them hosts. Everybody's a host. You don't. Yeah, because that's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's sexist. Mm-hmm. Make hostess. Yeah. But they were great hosts. 
And our host was having to be a woman most of the time. She owned the, the production company, which was interesting too. Mm-hmm. But the, that it's still communist country, but there was there's ownership, which I don't quite understand. But anyhow, she owned this company and she was a great host. She would make sure she'd always make sure we had food and we had the things we wanted to drink. And uh, she takes us out in really nice restaurants and uh, they, they had, this is like uh, typical, a typical Chinese image I had was, was that center lazy Susan thing that mm-hmm. turns around the center and you have food on and they did do that. And it was just full of food and, and most of it was healthy stuff. They didn't eat a lot of meat. Mm-hmm. Most of it was uh, vegeta- vegetation of some sort. There was mm-hmm. some meat, but not a whole lot of it. And when there was meat, they were very small portions. The, one of the things I ate that was meat that I guess you calls as meat that, that was kind of weird was I ate a worm. I've never eaten a worm mm-hmm. before. How's that? They actually, I didn't like it at all. But Yeah. Was it the, but, the knowledge of it before or just the flavor didn't appeal to you? The flavor. Uh, I wasn't afraid of eating it because they were all eating it. And I, you know what? You eat a cow, you eat the, the flesh of a cow. You know, we don't think any of that. So what's the big deal about eating a worm? It was a silkworm and it was... Mm kind of fat and it had been deep fried or something so it had a crust on it and it was really gooey and salty and i just didn't like it i didn't like it um but uh but but that was like that was a delicacy there and it was very expensive so they they gave every, each person got one, and mm-hmm. then because I because I was a guest, they wanted to give me two and three, and I'm going. Yeah. I'll stay. I'll stick with the one. The one's fine. Yeah. Uh, one's good, right? One's good, but they did put a second one on my plate, and I didn't eat the second one. I I, I did. I really didn't like the taste. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that doesn't surprise me. I've never eaten worm, but um, not intentionally, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't sound appealing, and not because I'm like you know, culturally shy or whatever, just worms are kind of, like you said, gooey inside. It's like gooey and salty. I don't know. Yeah. Was, I don't know if it was salty because they salted it or whether worms are naturally salty, but it was very salty and gooey and not a, not a, not a good taste to me. Yeah. I grow a um, black soldier fly larva, you know, as part of the, one of the things I feed my chickens and everything. And yeah, in some cultures, that's like a delicacy, you know, and yeah. I'm just like, Oh yeah, that they're, Back there with the garbage stuff, the, you know? the chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was so. it? They ate some other things. They oh, you know what surprised me is is the foods that are really popular. The fast foods that have, American fast foods have done that, that have gotten into China. Yeah, there was McDonald's, but McDonald's they served you at your table. Oh, they really? Ordered the same foods, but they served it to you at your table, and then um, they had a. Pizza Hut was really big there. They really liked mm. Pizza Hut. They were all over the place. I still and, like those kind of pizzas. I can't really do Pizza Hut or Domino's. I mean, I'm not knocking it. Every once in a while, it's good, but there's something about the cheese. It's like very different now. I like like a regular yeah. pizzeria. Like I like like to go to a pizzeria. pizzeria. I, I like any kind of pizza. Somebody said pizza is kind of like sex. Mm. Even even bad pizza is good. You know, cold and pizza is good. Like, I like yeah, cold pizza. There's no such there's no such thing as bad pizza or bad sex, but I. I guess it's not true. I guess there is, but hey, let me um, ask you this. This is a totally different topic, but I wanted to talk. Okay. I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, did you have writing assistants? Have you been hearing about what's going on with these writing assistants? I have. Did, we always treated our writing assistants really well, and I and I I read an article recently. I, you sent me the article, and I and I read it, and it was you very, read that, yeah. yeah, it was very 
That was crazy, it right? Was very, very, very sad and, and wrong um, that people were are treated that way. Uh, a good way to get into the business, if you want to be a writer, is to get take any job you can get on the other side of the wall. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a wall walling you out of show business. This is show business. Everybody else is out here. Yeah. If you get on the other side as a as a writer's assistant or a production assistant. Um, all sorts of jobs that are very kind of menial, not great job, don't pay real well. But when, when I was doing it, we treated those people really well because we knew they all uh, were working really hard for very little money. And we would do things like I'd give them script assignments. Sometimes I, I gave at least, I gave, I gave a secretary a script assignment who got a, an Oscar, an Oscar, an Emmy nomination for the script because really, it was on when I was doing um, the Tracy Ullman show and, and that several people would write every episode because there'd be sketches. Yeah, so yeah. person could write a sketch. And she wrote one of the sketches because I gave her the assignment. I, I, you know, I always thought she was, she was a great secretary because she really understood the writing and, and you didn't have to repeat things and she knew what went into the script and what didn't go into the script when she was taking notes. And I, mm-hmm. and I called her a secretary deliberately because I'm, I'm saying that, 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 that was kind of a lowly position. She, we didn't really call her. We used to call her our assistant, our production assistant, our, our writer's room assistant. Nobody wants to be called a secretary, but she went from this job where she's basically doing secretarial kind of work, typing and all that's kind of bad. Nobody mm-hmm. really wants to do. And we gave her an assignment, one on um, on the Tracy Ullman show where she wrote a couple sketches, ended up in an episode that got nominated for an Emmy. So she got an Emmy nomination. Yeah, that's crazy. And she actually wrote a good, She what she wrote was good. She, yeah. she, she, um, I think I gave her another script on another show. I'm trying to remember because I used her for a number of years because she was so talented because she understood the writing, which made her so much better as an assistant because she knew what to keep and what not to keep, what to listen to, what not to listen to, what notes to take and not. And I gave her another assignment too, but uh, but she got this Emmy nomination. I think we won an Emmy for that. I think she won the Emmy. And um, the sad part is she really sad she died of cancer hmm. a few years after that um that but she went she went from an assistant who was kind of a secretary assistant worked her way up to getting a script assignment but just proving she understood what she what she wanted to do and then won an emmy because of that she probably would have had a career had she not died of cancer so um we were we were good to our assistants. We were we always really were appreciative of, of the time they put in. But this article was telling them that that the vast yeah, the article was of, crazy, right? Yeah, the vast majority of of writers' assistants and and uh, production assistants have to work long hours, very long hours, longer hours yeah. than anybody, because they have to be there before we start production. And they have to be there after everybody goes home, and they don't get paid well still. They never did get paid well. Um, but with the but high cost of still, living in California, it's just ridiculous. I mean, gas is like, what is gas actually right now? Or are you guys out of gas right now? It's like $5, $6 or something? Gosh, it's pretty high. It's, yeah, it's, I think it's four or something. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, but uh, rent's high, you know, um, food is expensive. Everything is expensive. You know, you go to the store, everything starts at $3, $3.50, something like that. You know, even the crappy stuff. It's all crappy You go to stuff. the dollar store. This yeah. is funny. You go to the, the $0.99 cent store, and and the third of the stuff they got there is selling for, you know, $2.99, $3.99. Yeah. You, what happened to the 99 cent store? It's even escalated. Yeah, everything's crazy. Everything's expensive. And this is before um, even the inflation and all the stuff that happened. And yeah, I mean, I was actually, I was not too surprised about some of the stuff because, you know, when I was working, um, doing like interning and stuff like that, it was a grind. You know, it's a lot of work. You, you do a it's lot a of grind. Reading. They make you do more work than they should. And, and, the difference is, I think people. And they don't want to pay. They don't want to pay people. They don't much. want to pay much. And I think, you know, when somebody says, complains, well, you're not paying me enough, they say, well, look, I got 10 other people who want your job, which is true. Yeah, it so, is true. So, what can you do? You, so, you can't pay them more, but what you can do is treat them well. And we always treated them well. We always did. I, I know I felt that we did. We always treated them with respect and with appreciation, mm-hmm. but they were overworked. But it was she said she worked there for 10 years, 10 years. That's crazy. Is it, unless you are wanting to be, or if you don't want to be a writer or you, you have like, you start off just getting a job and you don't know that you want to be a writer. So you're working as a writer's assistant and at, throughout that course, you're like, Hey, let me t- you know, try my hand at this. You know, a lot of writer's assistants go in knowing, Hey, I want to be a writer. This is a good way to get in. I had a friend of mine that worked on, um, I think it was the show Castle, something like that. He was a writer's assistant for a little bit. And he had a hard time, like, even segueing into another writer's assistant gig, you know? Like, I think he worked on one other show after that, and it didn't happen for very long. And Yeah, this is my advice to people. Don't yeah. don't take one of these crappy jobs for 10 years. 10 and, years. and I, I still decade. say, I still say taking one of these crappy jobs is okay to get inside the wall. Yeah. But... If it doesn't pay off in some way after, I'd say a couple of years. A couple of years, right? Then, then quit because it's just they don't. Like if you can't get you meetings enough. or something with anybody, or get people to read your stuff, or like you know, like help I used recommend to read you to it. someone. I would read their scripts. Our assistants, I'd read their scripts. I'd give them notes, and as I said, I gave someone an assignment who won an Emmy because I gave her an assignment. That nobody else would have given her because nobody else got to know her well enough as as I did to to know she could do it. I knew she could do it because I got to know her. Um, it's hard to get somebody to know how good you are without getting inside that wall. I keep saying it's a wall, but mm-hmm. yeah, it is. It is a wall. It's a big barrier. Yeah, and if you're not like you know born into it, or you know if you don't have wealthy a wealthy background where it doesn't really bother you. You're not getting paid for very long. You can get out and schmooze and feel at ease. It's all about feeling at ease. It's that desperation, you know, that really messes people up too. A a friend of mine, Richard Sakai, who actually runs a company that that produces The Simpsons, started as a production assistant. Actually started as a personal assistant, which is even a lower, worse paying job with even more work. And surprisingly enough, those are hard to get. <laughs> That's yeah. a hard job to get. No, it is because everybody wants to. Everybody wants to be in show business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so those people, if they get a job working for for Jim Brooks or Ed Weinberger, which is what Richard Sakai did, 
as their guy who just takes their laundry in, walks their dog, washes their car, uh, gets their food for them. That's how Richard started. And then he ended up running the company mm-hmm. that, that produces one of the biggest shows in television. But he started that way. He started at the very bottom and worked his way up. But it takes a certain element of luck, too. So you might be really talented. And, and in two years, you haven't had one break at the company you're at. Get out of there because you don't want to be there 10 years making no money and working so hard. Just Unless they treat you well and pay you okay. You know what I mean? Then it's like you're learning some stuff. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, for sure. 10 years is still too long, I think. But, but yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. if they're treating you well, they're treating you with respect. They're giving you opportunities to learn writing if writing is what you wanted or directing or whatever it wants. They give you a chance to observe and really do really proactive kind of uh, involvement in the business. Yes, it's worth it for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. not ten, it's just not for 10 years. It, it pays too little and it's too many hours. You can't have a life much. I didn't know that either. I was reading this article and these people were saying the production assistants have no social life because they work so many hours. Yeah, and that's certainly and true. then and then the people ask them to work even more hours and they're they they're afraid to say no because mm-hmm. there's so many people who want the job. Weekends, and then, holidays. Yeah. Kind of stuff. So some of these people don't even have can't even date. They don't have time to go out there. Yeah, time. that was the crazy thing in that article. And I can't remember where that article was from. I think that was maybe Variety or something. But they were saying they were putting off, you know, I mean, for women, I guess, you know, we have to talk biology, right? Like there is a certain time frame for women to have children. And it's not like it doesn't apply for men, too. But, you know, Larry King was having kids until his, you know, 180s yeah, yeah. or whatever, you know, yeah. and um. But for women, you know, there's a there's a window um, where their eggs are viable and everything. It's like a real thing, you know. So they're yeah. putting off having children, starting a family, having regular. I I, I read you know, that part. Yeah, that was somebody, crazy. She was saying she she I guess she, she's married, but she they can't have children because she can't afford them mm-hmm. and she doesn't have time to raise them. Pursuing this job, she I think she was the one who'd been doing it for ten years, and I I just wanted to say, please stop. Yeah, 10 years. And if you're with the same company for 10 years, and they haven't given you a break. They're never going to give you a break. And where do you I think that know. comes from? Where do you think that comes from? Like not elevating people through the channels and like, um, you know, because I, I worked for I was an intern for Flynn Picture Company and they were they were nice to me. There was, that was right out of college. I moved right down to L.A. and that was the first uh, internship I had. And, you know, they didn't pay, but I learned quite a bit about the writing process. I was doing a lot of reading and, uh, Allison, uh, Allison and Wendy were the two, she was like a story editor and Wendy was like, I think she became vice president for the company. You know, they moved up too, you know, and Allison went on to work for, um, Ridley Scott's company, Allison Gilogly, I think that's how Gilogly and Wendy Jacobson. So shout out to them, but you know, they were real nice and like, you know, like they, did after i after i left working for them they did try to um, assist me doing other things it didn't really pan out but you know they did reach back they took my phone call at least you know and so that i thought that was cool but yeah um you know other people don't really try to elevate you and they just will use all your time and energy what i i have a very low esteem for 
people in the, in the business for the most part, they're, they're so narcissistic that mm-hmm. they, they don't really think, I, it's not like they go out of their way to make you miserable, but they don't try and help you because they only see their little, they got their blinders on, they're looking at where their future's going. Everybody's miss- looking up, not down, or sideways oh, yeah, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But I, I, I feel bad for these people who spend so much time in these terrible jobs. Uh, and I don't know, it, you know, if you want to be a, a professional writer, you've got to pay some dues mm-hmm. and you need, you need some luck. No matter how good you are, you need luck. You got to be the right place at the right time at some point. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't happen after a number of years, you got to give it up. Now I, I, I don't know. I, I made it when I was young. I, I got, I got this stroke of luck. I was there with the talent, but I also had the right people at the right time when I was very young. I don't know if I would have continued on more than five years of, of struggling with that. Your was so unusual too. I mean, to send a blind submission to a studio and they actually read the script, brought you in, and then you ended up writing for them. And that doesn't even, they don't even allow that anymore. So that's not a, yeah, you, you, you came and you came and do that now. The, the the legal department shut off all scripts from the outside. They yeah. don't come from recognized agents or managers or lawyers who are recognized by the studios. So that's the thing my, too. Is now is getting an agent, yeah. manager, and all that kind of stuff is crazy. That's why it's crazy too. Because say you want to get in and you gotta okay, you get one of these crappy jobs, but you're on the inside. Being on the inside should mean that then. These people will read your scripts at least. They mm-hmm. give you notes to respond to them. Yeah. That's what the, they owe you that because they're not paying you money. They're not paying you're working for money. fucking free, man. You know what I mean? Or like working for poverty minimum, level. Poverty minimum level. wage. Well, they pay minimum wage, but it's, that's not much. Especially No, because of the cost of living is so high. I mean, it keeps you at poverty level, really. I mean, that's Yeah, and then they ask you to work more hours than than you clock and totally. It's just crap. It's a crappy job, and the only purpose for doing it, the only reason you would do it is to get some exposure, get somebody who will look at your stuff, somebody who will give you some feedback, somebody who might give you an assignment or mm-hmm. or even a partial assignment. But Make some um, connections. Make some connections, yes. But otherwise, say you're on the outside, the other way to do it is to is make cold calls to managers and and agents and most often when you do that you don't get past the receptionist Mm -hmm. so the you can do the contest angle contest blacklist or something like that blacklist which is actually a list actually besides having contests they actually list scripts that some people know that they're very selective so that Mm -hmm. some producers will look at the blacklist list to see yeah, you could get work just from being on the blacklist. You don't even have yes. to have sold something. You know, you could get rewrite work. Uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. I say it's always worthwhile to be sending out these cold call things. You just just shots in the dark, you know, a letter, an email, a phone call, all those things, because those don't require you to give up any part of your life. But when you take these jobs on the inside as an assistant of some sort, where it's requiring you to be dedicated to that and you can't do anything else because of that, don't do it from for very long because it just robs you of your life. Yeah, you it's need just, to you need to eat. You gotta live. You gotta have money, you know. And it's like you can't it's hard to write under constant stress. I mean, I was doing that for years. I 
you know, I wrote a lot of stuff, which is actually, you know, I was pretty proficient to be honest with you, but it is very uh-huh. stressful and it does at a certain point weigh heavy on you and it can cramp, you know, if you're like, oh, well, I need this, you know, I remember the pressure of just like, oh, I got to write this script and you send the script out and you hope that you can get into a writing program or you hope that someone will read it. And, you know, like, I don't know, like people don't even really have like that much interest in, you know, like seeing what it could be or like what your talent could produce it's like oh yeah this is not 100 percent something i put on the air right this second then like you know you're kind of discarded you know you know and i'm not saying that happened to me or anything i'm just saying like partially that did happen to me on some occasions you know what i mean but um you know for sure it's very difficult and writing is already difficult you're doing it by alone a lot of times and when you talk to other writers sometimes they're helpful sometimes they're uh, competitive and so they'll sabotage you in certain ways you know what i mean yeah no that's that's absolutely true i, I it's it's a hard it's a hard route mm-hmm. and you gotta you, if you choose that path you're gonna have to pay some, some dues but you gotta limit it I, I you know it's like the thing about being a writer is you can have another job and you can write in the evenings the hard part is getting somebody to read it. That's mm-hmm. the hard part. You know, you write, 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 and nobody reads it. It's not going to do you any good. Mm-hmm. It's it's a terrible business mm-hmm. because of that. It's so hard. Here, I wish it were based on merit. Here's what I think they should do. And, and maybe in the future when it's a better world, maybe they'll do that. Is all studios should have to read unsolicited material. Now they won't. They'll only read yeah. it if it comes from an agent. Um. And they should give you some sort of feedback and they should have it on merit where there's no names involved. So somebody whose father happens to be an important person in the studio doesn't have an advantage over you as somebody who doesn't. Mm-hmm. So the script should come in without names, without, <coughs> without title pages that give stuff away. And it should be a merit system. The best like the WGA. The WGA should have a, a blind do they have a blind contest like if they had something that was like the blacklist for unsolicited material at least in that particular arena you know that you don't run as high of a risk of producers stealing your content changing it and then putting it out there themselves and not giving you any credit like at least you're kind of somewhat protected i don't know if they have anything like that uh well the the right the writers guild the wga is the writers guild of america they um they have some programs where you can put scripts up on like basically a bulletin board of some sort mm-hmm. that's, that's on the computer and people can look at your scripts that way. So there's some access available through the writer's guild. And some, some producers would look there because they know they're dealing with the writer's guild, which is professional guild for, for writers. So it's a good place to go, but <coughs> it's still hard that way too, because there's so many people. So many people. That's the thing. So much to There's read. So many people. So much. And I don't know. I don't know how you beat the system. So, so I say one should be merit. Produce your own shit. Produce your own stuff. That's a way to do it. You know. Yeah. Because then you cut out that middleman of the gatekeepers. You know, if your script is good, you know, like South Park, those guys. I mean, they just got a nine hundred million dollar deal. The other yeah, day. I read that. <laughs> Crazy. Nine hundred million. Why not just make it a billion? You know, like let's just go ahead and throw that extra hundred million there and let those I call know. it official. I should have held out for that. No, I'm sorry, I'm walking. Yeah, yeah. I get a billion, or or we're walking because we got taxes. You know, and they only have to do is they have to do something like ten two-hour 
things, movies or whatever. Oh, really? For for the Paramount Plus, which wow. is a TV division. The streaming. <laughs> yeah, so gosh, the people at the top can make so much money and all the people at the bottom make nothing. Nothing. Pennies. Not even pennies. They get ripped off and told to kick rocks. And... Yeah, so... I like that we're talking about it like this, though, because the reality of it is people will steal your stuff. It doesn't happen all the time, so you can't be supremely guarded, but you do need to protect your work. Oh, yeah. But intellectual property is a very important thing, and having an idea, having some originality, having a creative outlook, other people don't care about that stuff because it's, you know, it's a barrier of entry, but at the same time, it's something that they don't want to spend their time doing, you know, because they're they're lazy. People are lazy. It's hard to think about this stuff. It's hard to create stuff. And so, you know, I think it's good that we let people know, like, yeah, it is a very difficult and there is a lot of cutthroat stuff about it. You know, you have yeah. to be prepared for that. If you're going to get into it, you don't want to go into it blind. You want to go into it. Yeah, if you, write, if you write either a pilot or a movie, you should register it with the Writers Guild or, or with the U.S. Copyright Office and pay the fee, which is for the copyright like office or something. Well, for the copyright office, it's something like almost sixty dollars, but mm. it's for life. For sixty dollars, you're you're covered for life. With the Writers Guild, it's something like twenty dollars, yeah. and you're covered for five years. Then you have to renew it for ten dollars. Mm-hmm. And in the long run, I don't know which is better, but I, but before you start sending your scripts around, whether it's a movie or a, or a pilot, TV pilot. Um, be sure it's registered so you have some protection. Um, if it's just an episode of an existing show because you just want to show them you can write their characters, that doesn't matter so much because you're yeah, not worried yeah, about anybody stealing it. That's your taking it, their intellectual property, basically. Right. So that doesn't matter. But if you if it's an original work, like a pilot or a movie, register it and then give it to anybody who will read it. And I know that's kind of scary because... Say you give it to the guy who drives the bus on the bus you take to work. You give it to the bus driver because he says he knows somebody who knows somebody. I would still give it to him. I know that's my sound. Some people say, well, that sounds crazy or naive. But if you're sitting at home with your scripts, you got zero chance of making a career. If you're giving it to a bus driver who maybe knows somebody who knows somebody, that has happened. I know of, of at least a couple cases where somebody got it to some person through an odd path mm-hmm. uh, one was me I, uh, that wasn't the one that got my career going but i actually had a second uh, way of getting into that was also a stroke of luck that ha- that was a different form of, of entry um but um i do know of somebody who's pool cleaner happened to have conversations sometimes over the fence to a producer who eventually read his thing and then made the movie eventually. In fact, Spielberg made the movie. The, the producer who talked to the pool cleaner brought it to Universal to make it himself. Universal liked it so much, they gave it to their, their heavy hitter, Spielberg, who liked it so much, he actually made the movie. So it can happen. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen if you sit at home with your scripts and you don't want anybody to read it because they might steal it. Mm-hmm. Register it and then everybody who would show some interest read it because it's a hard road it's you need a stroke of luck you need that moment you make your own luck by giving yourself more opportunities to potentially have that lucky moment but it's a hard road and and you know there's some people who want to sell their books or whatever tell you 
you know, you read my book or you take my class, we'll get you, you're going to end up writing. It's not that easy. It's a very hard road. It's a very hard road. And, but if you love writing, it's what you do. You know, you do it anyhow. The other thing too about that is um, have a lot of ideas. Don't just like have an idea and like, I got, you know, a lot of people are like, I got this great idea for a movie or like they write a script and every script they write is one variation or something of that story. It's like, no, have multiple stories, have different ideas that are unrelated to each other. That's okay. It's good to have a wide variety of interests and thoughts about things. You don't have to just, yeah. even if you have just ideas ideas. that that you're going to pitch to friends I even protect those. I, this sounds a little paranoid, but what you could do is say you have an idea for a movie. I'd write like about a three-page treatment where I describe the movie in, in some detail in say three pages, and I'd register that as a treatment with the Writers Guild before I kept talking to friends about it. Because you might talk to a friend who you can trust who then mentions it to somebody that can't be trusted and then ends up somebody else takes it. So you want to protect all your intellectual properties. You want to protect them. Yeah. But then, then you want to talk about them. You want to show them. You want people to read them. If you get if you get a job as a production assistant, then you want the people on that show to read it. You know, can't be afraid somebody's going to steal it. You gotta protect it by registering it, and then get on the inside, give it to people. You got to talk it up too. You have you having lunch with somebody and you ask them what they do, and they happen to be an assistant to some successful writer producer. Say, you know, will you read my script and give me feedback, and then kind of slip in, and, and then could you kind of give it to your boss? Maybe they say they won't give it to their boss, or maybe they will if they love it because they want to score points with their boss. So they they love, love your script, and they know their boss is going to be happy to get something that's great. You just kind of make your you got to make more opportunities for that stroke of luck but then it's going to take a stroke be good though be good at it though like be don't give it to somebody unless it's polished like have other people read it first because if you give give somebody something once and it's not good it's not there they're the chances of them ever unless they really like you the chance of them reading something of your stuff again is pretty no no you're right about that you don't want to don't want to blow an opportunity if you have an opportunity to get steven spielberg to read your or his assistant better be ready for air (laughs) that better be in really great shape because if he doesn't like it or his assistant didn't like it wrote bad coverage for it yeah um then you're done there you're you're done so yeah, people don't realize the power of coverage. You know what I mean? They think it's like giving it to the producer, giving it to the director. That's the person that's going to – a lot of times they don't realize they're handing that to a reader. And the reader may not have that high of understanding of film. When I was a reader, there were a lot of readers in that room. And you know, a lot of them were writers, but some of them were just bored kids that came out of, straight out of college. They didn't really want to be reading stuff. And they didn't really care about it that way. They just yeah. felt you – know, and so you're trying to get – those people to care about your script so they pass it up to the you know the producers and that's people don't realize that i think people don't realize that usually when you do get this when you finally get this the opportunity to give your script to somebody who has some clout they don't read it they give it Mm -hmm. to their reader and the reader reads it and writes coverage coverage is what they call their brief description of what they read and it's only a it could be a page to three to five pages mm-hmm. but it, you know whatever it is or in my case 13 i used to write the longest coverage. <laughs> <laughs> but um 
Did you yeah. really? You'd write 13 yeah. pages? I would write crazy oh, long. Wow. They would be like, after a while, they're like, you got to seriously, this is supposed to be three pages, like stop. And I was yeah, like, but yeah. the details of this are really important. They're like, we don't care. Summarize. And it took me a second. But yeah, you're absolutely That's right. That's frustrating they give it to too. They give it a reader and the reader summarizes and maybe doesn't even understand what you got. Yeah, they don't understand it. They don't get the humor. They don't get the, the you know, they're pissed off because they're not making enough money and they haven't made it in the industry yet and they don't really care about your script it's like the 17th script they've read that week or whatever you know it's, yeah there's a lot that goes into it when i got my job on taxi i'd never written for a show before i just i just started on taxi i'd written one script that got me to get an interview and then i got a chance to write scripts for them so i'd written three scripts when they gave me the job of reading all the spec scripts I didn't know anything about it. You know, well, don't give me the job of writing spec of reading all the spec scripts because see, none of them wanted to read it. And they didn't have readers on that show, which some shows have readers, some some give it to the people on staff who are in a lower position to read. Usually they don't read it themselves. They'll read the coverage from somebody else. And if they like the coverage, then they'll read it. So they're very lazy. And some would say, well, it's not they're lazy, they're so busy. The busy and lazy, maybe, or inconsiderate Combo, yeah. as well. It's all kinds of combinations. But mm -hmm. keep that in mind. A reader's possibly going to read your script. You could, you spent a year of your life writing this movie. And I'm not saying you have to spend a year, but some people but yeah, spend I mean, seven years writing a movie. True. Yeah. And some people can write one in, in, a, in a month or two, but it depends on who, who you are and how you write. But you spend all that time, and some reader gets it who doesn't understand it, doesn't even want to be a reader. Like when they made me the reader for Taxi, I want I was a writer. They were paying me to be a writer. Why don't they making me read other people's work? Because none of them wanted to do it. So I was writing their reading their work and writing coverage, and then then writing my own scripts as well. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I mean, it wasn't fair to these these people. I I was scared to death every time I turned something in that that they would tell me I didn't have any talent. And here I'm judging these people because, you know, and I said that, I said, I don't think I should be the reader for these, all these spec scripts. And they, mm, that's the job you get. That's your first job on staff here. Uh, you're the low man on the totem pole. You have to do all the reading of all the spec scripts. And, it's helpful you know, though, being a reader, you know what I mean? As, as a writer, <clears throat> you really get to understand quickly. Like you can analyze scripts really quickly. Like, oh, this is not working because X, Y, Z. If the yeah. writer had gone this direction instead of this direction or, you know, the yeah, certain, true. And technical and it, and stuff it, really will hold people back from enjoying a story. And if you do learn all those things as a reader, then that's the reader you want to read your script, but that you're possibly going to get the reader who's just reading his first or second <clears> script. Yeah. And so I'm just, we're, we're giving you all the bad news today. It's a hard way. It's hard to get in. It's hard to get established. Once you're established, it's not so hard anymore, but it's really hard to get established. It's really hard. And yeah, I mean, being a writer's assistant's a difficult route. Being a reader, readers can keep you out. You know, readers can keep you out. I've seen it happen myself. I've definitely like, there are stories, there's one story that I still think about that I actually recommended. And when I recommended it, I was like, mm, maybe I shouldn't have recommended it. But there was something, there was a kernel there that I still think about. But the yeah. story wasn't there. And then there was other stories that literally I passed on and they got made. And that movie, those movies did not do well. You know what I mean? So, you know, if somebody has a push and they have backing on something, you know, they'll, it'll get made. That's what we're talking about, luck again. Are you going to be lucky enough to get 
Erto when he's in his second year of writing coverage so he really knows what he's doing are you going to get me in my very my third script ever having to read your script who doesn't even want to do it because they're forcing me to do it uh man you just there's so many things you have to be able to overcome but people do it's like people say it's kind of like the lottery every every week i'm reading somebody else won lottery money some people win half a billion dollars you know and you go yeah wow, why can't that be me? So you buy tickets and it's never you. And I never get more than two numbers. I think on any row I ever get, I just can't get it. But somebody's winning. Somebody's winning those. Somebody has to. And somebody has to get those writing jobs. There are a lot of scripts have to be written. Can't win if you don't play, though. You got to play. You got to play. You got to get out there. You got to... You can't sit at home, wait for somebody to knock on your door and say, excuse me, do you know our good comedy writer we were just walking the neighborhood looking we're going door to door looking for a good comedy writer you know what though there was a dude who came to my house not to offer me a job but he was he was pitching his book he would go door to door and was really yeah and i sat there and talked because as a writer you know i'm like all right well i it was some crazy space odyssey that took him 25 years to write you know all right you know i didn't read it but (laughs) wow yeah (laughs) When I was, I was, like, in, when I was working in at Paramount, there, this guy used to drive by. I I could see him from my window. He'd drive by in his car. He had a he had a Volkswagen, and it had his picture. He wanted to be an actor, and he had his picture on his Volkswagen, and he had things written on it of reviews he had gotten on his car, and so he'd drive that around. And I'd go. I used to think, well, that guy's got to be a little crazy. But then I thought. He probably increases his chances because somebody might just want to meet that crazy guy who painted his car to put his name out there. And maybe yeah. he'll get a little role and maybe a little role will turn into a bigger role. So I don't know what you do. Be inventive, be aggressive, be persistent. Uh, maybe you're going to be one of those guys who wins the lottery because somebody has to. There's a lot of scripts that have to be written, a lot of them. It's Your chances are better than winning the lottery because – in the lottery, your chances are one in many, many million. You're not facing that kind of those odds, but you're facing pretty bad odds. But you yeah. prove it by getting out there and and getting more tickets in effect, buying more lottery tickets by driving your car around that says who you are, you know, or, or knocking on doors or giving it to your to your barber who happens to cut the hair of the assistant to Spielberg or somebody like that. Those are all possibilities, and I know they sound a little crazy, but it's crazy business. Yeah, but be be personable and don't be weird. I mean, that's <laughs> you yeah, don't be, I mean? yeah, you don't be weird. You don't want to, like you don't want to walk into an office like you got on the lot somehow, and you walk into some office and you start pitching to people who are busy working. Yeah, know? don't do that. They're, they're not going to accept that. But, yeah, you got to know who to pitch to. This is actually, you know, when I was looking at um, different agents, people were like, you need an agent. It's like, no, you actually need the right agent for your genre. There's a big difference. You don't need a film agent that does horror movies if you write comedies. You know what I mean? You don't want that type of agent because they're going to try to get you to write a horror movie and they're not going to know anybody may, who yeah. works in the comedy field. You know what I mean? They're, if you know, if you drill down, you know your specific sector. Find people who are in that sector. But also, if you can't get any doors open for – nobody's going to read your stuff because people hate reading these days. You know, produce something of your own. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Back you to know, South that's Park. actually good. You were, you were mentioning that South Park, that's what they did. They actually produced their own first little 10 minute mm-hmm. uh, snippet that, that showed off what they could do. And I saw it. I was one of the people who saw it before anybody knew who these people were or knew anything about South Park ever was ever going to be a, a huge hit. Uh, they, they did it themselves. Now, they did it very cheaply, but it worked so well that they continue to keep use that cheap look even today in their in the, the regular production. It's all that that animation is really crappy animation, but that's part of the charm of the show. Now but they did nine it that tenths way. of a billion dollars. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what they did in the beginning. To and they and they actually made something, so then people didn't have to read. They they could be eating their their lunch, and and somebody puts it on. Uh, take a look at this. I saw that they put it into their player. And and you're all just watching. You're laughing your ass off, and you go, "Who are these people?" Yeah, that's what happened with with them. And I believe that um, a similar story happened to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That they produced yeah. their 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 pilot as well, very poorly because they didn't have the money. So they probably shot some of it on their phones or their cheap. Yeah, they just had a camcorder and they shot it in their apartment or whatever. And it's it still had that energy though that show that they had a little something i saw that i saw a couple of snippets of oh you saw it? yes yeah. so you know what that's being inventive that's if you have enough friends you have a friend who wants to be a cinematographer and a friend who wants to be an actor and you want to be a writer get together and make something mm-hmm. yeah make stuff that's the other thing too is gatekeepers can only get you so far in any industry but specifically in this industry and because a lot of people don't really want to write or they want to everybody wants to work with the person they think is going to enhance them get them further you know but if you're making your own stuff um you stand a chance to not only be a writer but then also a producer or director you get to wear all those hats but you also can fine-tune your work without anybody like putting you know the that you know watchful eye on you and if it doesn't work out then that's okay you can bury it you know tarantino had a film that he buried before he did reservoir dogs you know what i mean and then he oh really he did yeah, and then he wrote Reservoir Dogs. You know, his famous story is he was working at a rental place, a, a VHS rental place, and then gave it, gave us somehow got a script to Harvey Keitel, and then Harvey Keitel read it and really liked it, and then he ended up, you know, going that route and you know directing and everything. But yeah, produce your own stuff. I mean, that if you back <laughs> your own stuff and it hits, then you're good. You actually have a little bit more control than just being the writer. That's true. And, and I, I, I was mentioning before that I got in by, uh, I wrote a spec script that I sent to the production company that was making the show uh, that I wrote the spec script for. And they read it. And then two years later called me. So for two years, I didn't even know if they got it. But two years later, they called me and asked me if I wanted to do something. At the same time, I was renting a room in somebody's house. A house was being rented out to students and and other people like me who couldn't afford a house and could afford a room and uh but here's the weird thing where i said like give your script to to the guy driving the bus i gave my script to the guy one of the guys who was renting a room in the house he went to church with and that's like once you go to church you can you can some of the very successful people are in there with some of the people who are just getting started because he he got my script to a producer who was a he knew from the church i don't know how he had overheard him talking or something knew the guy was a producer that guy wanted to hire me and so he liked my script called me i met him at his home 
and he wanted to hire me, but I got hired by taxi at the same time. So I went two huge strokes of luck, hit it boom at the same time for me. It was just like incredible. But uh, I'm, I'm saying there's an avenue that's still open. The one, the one where I sent it to the production company, that's been shut off. The mm-hmm. legal department has shut that off. You can't get through that way anymore. But getting into somebody who happens to go to church with somebody who happens to be a producer who will read it because especially in church, you felt more being more benevolent and generous, I guess, mm-hmm. said, okay, I'll read the script. And he read it and, and loved it and wanted to give me a job. So praise the Lord. That can happen. What? Yeah. I said, praise yeah. the Lord. Oh yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, there's yeah, a lot of different uh, ways. There's a lot there, of there are ways. ways. So that's why, yes, to make your own product, uh, make your own, uh, a sample, um, uh, start going to church more. <laughs> Right though, definitely right. You know, <laughs> right, right. Don't, don't pitch first and then write later. You're like, you know, write. Be a be a good writer. Be a good writer just to be a good writer. That's that's actually a skill that translates into so many different avenues in life that doesn't have anything to do with Hollywood or making films. Yeah. It's a good thing to be able to think well and articulate your thoughts and form formulate a structure of, behind a theme. And you know, the interesting thing about writing is it, you 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 already I know you love it or you wouldn't be listening to the show or watching this show. So you love writing. And thank you, Tim. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. So anyhow, you love this process. So it, it can be a hobby for life. And I know you don't want to do it as a hobby. You want to make a, a living. At it, and that's fine too. But because of my age, I don't, I've been retired for years now and I taught at the university when I first retired. Now I don't even do that, but I still write. I write stuff that nobody probably ever going to read. Um, I do it cause I like it. It's like an artist who's a painter might paint forever, uh, or a sculptor or, or a musician who just, you do it cause you love it. So I still write stuff and I have to, cause I, I get pleasure out of it. Even though I don't even try, I don't really make an effort to even sell it anymore. I still write. And I think, I think what, what Erta was saying, it expands your vocabulary, expands your, your, your thought processes, processes. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you, um, um, an outlet for your creativity and for your moods. And it's just a lot of reasons to write, even if you never make a living at it. And I, I know you don't want to think about not making a living at it, but um, it's, it's a good thing to do. Writing is a good thing. If you have the talent to write, nobody can take that away from you. They may not ever buy your script just because you can't get to the right person at the right time, but it's it's a it's a it's a really good uh hobby i uh, uh, an advocation um you know it doesn't have to be a career but and good writers don't make it and bad writers do make it but even more importantly is yeah good good writers do make it you know and bad writers don't make it so <laughs> you know bad writers will definitely not make it most of the time but good writers definitely make it you know if you're a good writer and you keep trying and, you, and you're diligent, I'd say this, that that you you do have a chance. If you're a good writer and you're not diligent, and you sit back and you, you send it out once or twice or here and there, it's not going to happen. But if you do really get, try and get your work out there, try and get your ideas out there, really make an effort, 
you increase the odds because most people won't. Most writers are not aggressive. I know that's kind of a generalization, but it's true. Most writers want to write. They don't want to be salespeople. So if, in fact, you actually try to sell your work, you're ahead of all those others. So that gives you a step up. So you're not just one of the writers who's writing and hoping that you're going to get it to the right person at the right time. And so you send out here and there or whatever. If you're somebody who's doing, you're, you're just all over. You're just really trying to get out there. You're ahead of the game. You're, you're one of the exceptions. So you're already ahead of all these other people you're competing with. So you can be a writer's assistant for 10 years, you know, go to be a writer's assistant for 10 years. Do not do that. (laughs) But, uh, you gotta run. No, I don't have to run. I was just, th- I was just trying to think of some other positive things because this has been kind of a negative session. So, I got a question for you because we were talking about cigars earlier, and uh, yeah, you had a funny story about. Uh, oh yeah, cigars with Sam Simon. Yeah, we we used to uh, when we were working on taxis. Sam Simon and I uh, used to work late hours sometimes on stuff. He was actually my, my partner later on for about two years. We, 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 most of the time we were independent, but we worked together. And anyhow, Ed Weinberger had this great, Ed Weinberger was one of the creators of Taxi, and he had this great collection of cigars. We'd always see him smoking them. And one night we were working really, really late. And we just, this is terrible. And Ed's going to find out and he's going to come home hunt me down and shoot me but we went into his apartment not his apartment we went into his office and it was unlocked we were looking for one of those great cigars and we know they're very expensive too and he had a uh, uh, humidifier and all this stuff and we went in and we it was all unlocked it was all open and we each took a cigar and we went back to the office and we smoked them and they were so good i'm not a smoker by the way but uh, but smoking a cigar once in a while is really a treat if you smoke it all the time you're asking for cancer but if you smoke one every seldom once in a while it's really it's really was a nice treat this was such a good cigar because i had done that in college i had done the same thing once in a while it's very rarely once in a while i'd smoke a cigar and they were all just okay but this cigar just maybe i was just psyched out because i knew he had spent a lot of money on it but it was such a great cigar, but here's the weird thing. Um, I, I was running the show and, and I had a, a writer's room and there was a mole in my writer's room. Somebody actually went to Ed and told him, Sam and I stole cigars. Damn. And, Gosh, why would you do that to somebody? But then Ed really was upset. Got really angry at us, but it was still a great cigar. <laughs> cigar. It was <laughs> worth, it was worth Ed yelling at us, but it was not right what we did. I mean, we we had no right. But he wasn't there. If he was there and we'd asked him for a cigar, he would have said no. But I can say he wasn't there. And I just figured since he wasn't there and everything was unlocked, he was asking us to take a cigar, right? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, that's what the Night Stalker used to think, you know. If yeah. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> going so, out, uh, getting people's houses and stuff. Yeah, no, that's funny. That's actually a funny story. And it's a cool memory that you have, you know, like Sam Simon memory. Yeah, a lot of people lot of you hear memories. stuff about Sam Simon doesn't always sound, you know, sometimes people don't always say the nicest stuff or whatever about him, but that's a, yeah. that's a cool story. I like hearing good stuff about. 
Yeah, we had a good time. Sam was uh, a very talented man who didn't get along real well with people for some reason. I don't know why exactly, but he didn't have a good social filter or something. I don't know what it was, but whatever. But that was, we, he and I kind of shared that moment together. We thought we had pulled off this great the adventure heist. and got away with the great heist. And then we got turned in by some rat in our, yeah, I knew yeah. find out who it was. That's some rat in our group t- t- turned us in and, Ed was very unhappy about that, but we should uh, make a list of all the people who are potential uh, moles. And yeah, the- I'd go back and find out who that was. Yeah, but, you know, uh, one of the things that just brings to mind because we, we're talking now just about show business or about writing, and it's really fun to write on a show. Yeah. It's really fun. It's a lot of hard work when you're on a show. There's camaraderie you guys you eat together you eat three meals a day together because you're usually working all day long and you're um you know you you, we went to shows together you know because we would hang out with each other and all these people the writers become your friends and the weird thing about they're also your competitors because they're also trying to beat you out because they want your job Mm -hmm. and they want to do better than you do it's so it's a weird kind of environment but it's not really there's no hostility. There's kind of a friendly competition and uh, and a lot of good times. I mean, we we would we ate good meals. Uh, that's one of the things that shows to do when you have to work late hours. They buy you really good meals. So mm-hmm. I, it it was um, a lot of friends. A lot of friends I made uh, from the staff, from the writing staff, and. Um, and I got really close to Sam Simon because we stole those cigars and got caught. I think that was a kind of a bonding moment for us. So, yeah, I think that's an awesome story. I like that story a lot. Yeah. So get a job in show business as a writer, steal a cigar from your boss. There you go. Enjoy smoking it. And you remember that all your life. Cause I still remember that story. I'm still thinking about it. And it was just one night of my life. I smoked a cigar with Sam Simon and, and yet I, I'll remember, I'll remember that cigar all my life in that moment. That is worth yeah, it. Even getting caught was kind of fun at, in retrospect, you know, you just say, well, come on, who would turn you in for stealing a cigar? You know, it's just such a small thing, but somebody did it shows you what the world is. You know, somebody would retch out for, I also said bad things about Ed sometimes because I'd get mad because he was my boss and he'd make us change something I didn't want to change or whatever. And I'd say some things and, and somehow that would get back to Ed too. It's probably the same person. I'm, I'm sure it's the same person. I quit doing that. Also, I quit saying bad things about Ed and I quit taking his cigars. Yeah. But it was still fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that is cool. That's actually, I like that story a lot. That sounds cool. That sounds like a good time because it's like, you know, those are unique moments. That's the in-between stuff that, you know, people don't really yeah. think about too much, you know. If, if I had it over to do over again, I don't know what other career I'd want. I really am glad I I spent most of my adult life as a as a comedy, half-hour comedy writer. I really enjoyed the, the process. And now that I'm older, uh, I think I'd enjoy it still. I just, it's true that they want younger people to do these jobs um, for a number of reasons. I don't want to get into that, but but I would have, I think I'd have fun doing it. It's a fun job. Yeah. You sit in a room with a bunch of other really creative, smart people and you're pitching jokes and you're trying to outdo each other with 
with with your pitching and your joke or some of you're being supportive you're not always trying to outdo somebody but it, the creativity in a, in a rewrite room in a writer's room is a lot of fun it's a lot of fun and at the time when i was 25 and i was doing it there were guys in the writer's room who were in their 50s who were acclaimed writers and i'm pitching with these 50 year old acclaimed writers and i'm only 25 who's never done anything before and that was a lot of fun yeah that sounds you know that's part of the magic of it i mean the the breaking stories with people and coming across these like you know there there is something about that like pitching in to break a story and then like coming uh, onto these next turn of events in the story that's a unique experience that's a really magical moment you know and it's pretty awesome yeah it is it's very fun pitching ideas with other people who are really good you know, pitching ideas with other professionals that you know they they got there which means they're good it wasn't easy to get there and you're pitching with them and and it's a different feeling than pitching to somebody who doesn't know anything about writing and you do that sometimes you want their opinion but it's not the same as pitching with somebody else who's going to say yeah that's good but what if you did this and you go oh man, I wish I had thought of that before, but I'm going to do it. And, you know, thanks for the, you know, and then back and forth and you give them thanks too. And uh, sometimes I, I used to be, I, I would think if you had all the time in the world, you would write as good a script as you writing with the help of these other people. But you do it so much faster when you have five to 12 really good writers in a room all thinking to solve this problem you're going to solve it in a fraction of the time you would need doing it by yourself and you may have still cracked it you probably would crack the problem but it's going to take you you know 12 times longer or whatever you know so. and also you get different like you know you think of, other people think of different things and so it's like oh you know like you said i wish i would have thought of that or like oh i didn't know you know, you learn stuff too along the process. Like, oh, I didn't know about that. You know, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's, it's a great thing. So we told you all the hard stuff. Now I'm telling you the rewards are, are worth it. Except do not spend 10 years as somebody's assistant. If they're not giving you a break within those 10 years, they're not going to. And it's just giving up too much of your life. It's, yeah. not, a, it's, not, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Not 10 years of being a... Uh, production system got to be willing to walk you gotta like have that self-worth to know like it's okay to walk away from certain things yeah and the good thing about a writer uh, i have to go soon but it, the good thing about a writer is that you can always write on your own and and as i said send them out to people get them to people go to church give it put it on the on, a, on one of the pews in the church and leave it there walk off somebody find it. hey look what i found out so i'll read it because i found it I, you know, that's a crazy idea, but it's just my work. You know, it's like you have those options as a writer because you can keep putting feelers out um, and can, and continue to write because you like the process of writing. Get out there. Oh. Yeah. So now I got to go. I have to go do some some personal business stuff. I'd rather stay and talk to all of you. But first of all, I want to say happy birthday to Ed. Ed, way to make it, Ed. Keep doing it. Yeah. So, okay. So, Erto, I'll see you in a week. All right, cool. And, um, yeah, so I'm going to check out this pilot, and uh, we'll talk about that next time. Oh, yeah. Next week, we're going to talk. We're, gonna, we're both going to watch the same pilot, and then we're going to talk about it for you to, to hear how, you know, our different 
opinions of, of what works and doesn't work on a pilot. We won't tell you what it is yet because we may change our mind and read a different pilot, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's what we're going to do. We're going to read the same pilot. Should we read the script also? Watch yeah. the show and yeah. read the script? Yeah, yeah. We should if we can get hold of the script. It's sometimes hard to get hold of the yeah. script. It's easy, always easy to see it. But yeah, so we can get it. The script. But if we do, we will, and we'll talk about it. So Cool. And then we're going to tell you also the secret to ha- being happy, which is is actually a very simple thing you have to do, but we're not going to tell you this week because we want you to come back next week. So. Yeah. Can we give him a hint, though? Uh, you give him a hint because I really am faking the whole thing. Okay. Well, it has to do with holding your breath. Ah. Oh, yeah. The longer I you do it. not. I did not know that. So. Yeah, you reach this peak of happiness the longer you hold your breath. That uh, just just before you pass out, you're the happiest you can be. Yeah. yeah. So when people I say don't, don't hold your breath, they're trying to keep you from being happy. Oh, that's that's interesting. No, boy, I'm gonna. As soon as we get off the air here, I'm gonna be happy because I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold my breath. <laughs> All right. Well, happy birthday, Ed. Yeah, Ed, Ed out there crushing. Okay, it. take care. All right. All right, I'll talk to you soon.